Lord, we thank you that we currently live in relative peace. Relative peace because there is violence all around us in our own nation. There are regional conflicts as close as Tanzania and Mozambique. In the city. But as we think of that, we thank you for those who through the past hundred or so years have given their lives so that we might live in this relative freedom. For those who have stood against evil, who've given their lives so that evil would not abound. And as we think of our world, we remember especially the conflict in Ukraine and Israel-Gaza. We pray, Lord, that there a peace that passes all understanding would come because it is a peace that comes from you, not from man. For we recognize, Lord, that human beings are as fickle as anything. And so we pray for peace. Pray for peace in our continent, where it would seem that people just cannot tolerate the leadership or rule of others who are different to them, who believe differently to them. And so we pray for peace in Africa. And then, Lord, as we head towards elections, and we know that political killings are rife in KZN and the Eastern Cape, we pray for peace in our own nation. Lord, that you would turn the hearts of the people back to you and that we who believe in you and trust you and call you by name, Father, God, Jesus, that we would live in such a way that we bring peace, that we speak truth, that we do what is right. We pray for peace in our homes where gender-based violence is such an awful scourge. Where children are murdered. Pray for peace in our home, our communities, and our suburbs, and our villages, and towns, our cities, our nation.
And then, Lord, we continue to remember those who are in need, even in our own community. Some are here, some aren't able to be here because of the struggles that they have. But we pray for Heather and Tia and Renee and Ray and Lauren, Ian and Ruth, Jonathan and Cheryl, Chirin's mum, and many others who are known to us, we ask that you would touch their lives, that you would bring hope and healing to them, and that they may know your peace and your strength and the hope that you give because of who you are. So we trust you for ourselves and for others. Touch us where we need you most, we pray. For we ask these prayers and the prayers of our hearts in Jesus' name, and together God's people said, Amen. So last week, uh, we, we, we were blessed by a, an amazing young preacher by the name of Damien, Damien O'Grady, who, who uh, seems to have a gifting on his life. Fantastic to see young people like him and Alex begin to come through. So that when old people like Gene and I need <laughs> to sit down one day, we can, because there's a generation coming through. Um, by the way, if you can get your teenage kids to listen to one podcast this year, get them to listen to last Sunday's sermon. If you can get your kids to listen to one podcast this year, get them to listen. If you have friends you're trying to kind of help in their lives or maybe family members, you can get them to listen to one podcast, to watch one YouTube video this year. Get them to watch last Sunday's message. Damien preached an incredibly powerful message. Spoke about four things. Shifting our focus from feeling to fact, the fact of who God is and how he calls us to live. Using our purpose and calling for God, not personal pleasure. Making sure we don't allow our successes to seduce us to become self-sufficient, thinking we can do it all on our own, and and uh, asking the question: What do we, what do we, what do we speak of? Who do we speak of as the source of our success or our strength? Do we do we speak about ourselves or do we speak about God? And today's kind of passages seem to follow on a little from what David was talking about last week. Because one of the things he, he reminded us about Samson's life is that Samson, being a Nazarite, was called to live a very particular way. He was called to not touch dead bodies as a Nazarite, not use any alcohol, and not cut his hair. And, and he did that really well. He did that really well for the first 16 years or so of his life. And then something changed. And so by the time, by the time he turned around, somewhere around 20, which is when this event with Samson and delightful, I mean, Samson and Delilah happened. Um, don't call your daughters Del Delilah or Jezebel. You heard Damien last week. Um, but by the time that happens, he, he's, he's lost all his focus. He's done it really well for 16 years, and then things fall apart. So we're reminded that we need to be ready all the time. He needed to keep, Samson needed to keep with God's plan all the time, and so... Do we now? I wonder if, if you can remember that school teacher. That school teacher used to say to you, um, every lesson you need to do your homework and make sure you do your homework because tomorrow I'm going to ask you and you better be able to give an answer. You remember that school teacher? 
Yeah, you remember that school teacher. So what did you do? Monday, you did all your homework. Ne? And Tuesday morning, didn't ask you. But, but Tuesday, you did all your homework again. And, and, and Wednesday morning, she didn't ask you. So, so Wednesday afternoon, you kind of better do all my homework. She may ask me tomorrow. So you do all your homework on Wednesday, Thursday, you get to school. And she doesn't ask you. She asks the person next to you. So Thursday afternoon, kind of a bit of a hectic afternoon. So you kind of, you kind of read through the stuff and you do a little bit of it. And on Friday morning, you get to school and you're like very nervous because you know you haven't done the homework, all of it. And she doesn't ask you. Yeah. So you rested a bit on the weekend. So Sunday afternoon, you do all your homework. Because it, your Monday, the chances of Monday getting asked are pretty good. I mean, and she doesn't ask you. Tuesday is rugby practice, so you're exhausted. Um, and so you don't kind of do much of your homework. And you kind of, she hasn't asked me last Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday. So you go to school and you kind of, she's not going to ask me. She's not going to ask me. Yeah, she's not going to ask me. <laughs> and guess what? She asks you. You know it's going to happen, eh? She asks you. And that's pretty much the story of our readings today. There's this significance, the story of the bridesmaid needing to be ready for the arrival of the bridegroom. Now, bridesmaids in, in Jesus' time were very different from bridesmaids today. Bridesmaids today is, is, a sis, is, is sisters or besties, and, and their job is to make you look good and pretty. Right? So, so, so their dress isn't, isn't allowed to look nearly as good as yours. As the bride, you've got to be the best. And, and they're there to make sure everything is good. In Jesus' time, the, the role of the bridesmaids or young maidens or virgins, as some of the translations have it, is that they were responsible for ushering the bridegroom into the celebration. So they would wait outside the venue. And, and when the bridegroom came, they would come in with their lamps and dance. And it would be the kind of sign that the bridegroom is just behind them because in those days the bridegroom would go to fetch the bride from their home. Those who, who kind of maybe come from a more rural area, even in South Africa, you will know that once the board of the bride price has been paid, the, the family waits and then word comes to say that the groom's going to come next weekend. And so what does the family do? They get the food ready and everything is right and and the village is kind of waiting for this moment. And then there's the sound that carries over the hills as, as the, the groom's party begins to sing over the hill, through the valley, up the hill to the home. Because he's come to fetch her, to take her home. By the way, that's the imagery that is used in John 14 where Jesus says, I'm coming to take you home. It's the promise. Everything's ready. Coming to take you home to be with me. It's that kind of wedding, almost wedding imagery. So in Jesus' time, the... The plan was that, that the, the, the young maidens would be ready and waiting. Now, but Jesus tells a story like this. He says there are 10 of them, and, and five of them are like Girl Guide Boy Scout ready. You know what I mean? Girl Guide Boy Scout ready. They've got oil for the long haul. They've, they've eaten. They've dressed appropriately. They're there on time. Everything is good. The, the other five, kind of, it's been a busy day. There's stuff been going on. And, and to carry a jar of oil is a real mission. 
because the darn thing will always leak and spill over you and you'll get oil on your clothes and it's not funny and, and, and it's, it's heavy to carry. And so, and so they just, they, they fill their lamps to the brim when they left home and, 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 and now they're wedding. The five who already knew that often bridegrooms were late because in that society, men, men were the important ones. So, so, you know, he was important. He, he, was, he was busy doing stuff. Oh, I've got to get to the wedding. Uh, you know. Whatever. But, but they knew, those five knew that the bridegrooms were often late. So they made sure they had enough oil. They were ready. The, the other five kind of, maybe, maybe, maybe it's going to come on time. Yeah? Maybe this will be on time. So we, we'll be fine. If, it'll be cool. Everything's good. We're here. But of course, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, uh, finally the bridegroom, they hear the noise of the bridegroom's approaching. And so they kind of say to each other, well, we haven't got enough oil, the five of them. So let's borrow from the, the five who have. And, the, and so they go to them and say, give us some oil, please. We know the, and they say, no, no, no. We, we've only got enough for us. And if he stays longer, then all of our lamps will go out and we'll all be lightless. Hang on to that thought. We'll all be lightless. So the five who have their lamps burning, they have light. They go into celebration. The groom comes in behind them and closes the door. And then the five, when they finally return with enough oil, bang on the door and the groom says, ah, I don't know who you are. You're this bicky lot. The five who had light were able to go in. The five who were lightless had to stay outside. You see, the job of the maiden, the, the role of the maiden was to be light bearers for the groom. Hold on to that thought. They had to be light bearers for the groom. Their job was to make sure that the groom was able to walk in the light and be lit up. They knew the deal. In fact, all of them knew it was their job, their responsibility was to bear, be bearers of light for the groom. Brings us to our second reading for today, and it's taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. And regarding the question, friend that has come up about what happens to those already dead and buried we don't want you in the dark any longer first off you must carry not carry on over them like people who have nothing to look forward to as if the grave were the last word since jesus died and broke loose from the grave god will most certainly bring life to those who died in jesus and then this we can tell you in complete confidence we have the master's word in it that when the master comes again to get us those of us who are still alive will not get a jump on the dead and leave them behind. In fact, they'll be ahead of us. The master himself will give the command, the archangel thunder, God's trumpet blast, and God will come down from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise. They'll go first and then the rest of us who are still alive at that time will be caught up with them into the clouds to meet the master. Oh, we'll be walking on air and then there'll be one huge family reunion with the master. So reassure one another with these words. In the New Testament church, the first 
I guess, century or so of the early church, there was this firm belief that Jesus was coming soon. That Jesus was coming to fetch his bride soon. That it was imminent. That that Jesus who was promised for 2,000 years in the Old Testament, that Jesus who had arrived at Christmas and three years, three and a half years later had died at Easter, was raised again tri- alive and is triumphant and ascended into heaven, that one day soon he was coming to take them home. That it was imminent. And so Paul writing to the Thessalonians reminds us of the imminence of the groom's return. Of course, the reality is that it was 2,000 years ago and Jesus hasn't come back yet. So now we go back to the school teacher thing. But see, Jesus tells that story about the maidens at the wedding needing to be ready all the time and not kind of being lax. We're reminded that we need to be ready. So for 2,000 years, Christians have been, have been attempting to be ready for the first couple of hundred years of the early church, of course, there was incredible persecution. And so not only was this this understanding that Jesus was coming soon, there was also a deep desire that Jesus would come to take his, his people out of that persecution and take them with him in, to be with him in, in heaven. And the early church firmly believed that Jesus' arrival was imminent. As time has passed, of course, there has been this kind of thing of, is it, is it true? How can it be true if it hasn't happened for 2,000 years? And there will be times, in a sense, that the church has been prepared for Jesus' arrival all the time. Jesus' arrival is imminent. Jesus is coming to take us home, so we need to be ready. So we're doing the things we need to be, should be doing, and we don't do the things we shouldn't be doing, because soon Jesus is coming. And then, like the school homework thing, the preparation becomes less and less and less. We're reminded that we need to be ready all the time. That's the job of the bridesmaids, the maiden, the light bearers. Light bearers for the groom, the king. The reality, of course, is that uh, in, in Jesus' day, and in the time of the early church, life expectancy for human beings was somewhere around 45 years. So Gene, you are old. Past 45. Life expectancy was 45. Um, disease and wars made sure of that. In fact, one of the biblical scholars suggests that one of the reasons why there is such a big push by the early church to care for widows and orphans was because of exactly this life expectancy, particularly for men who went to war, was very low. And so the early church began to understand that, that Jesus was taking, was, was, was taking us home as we came to the end of our lives. And we needed to be ready for that too. Of course, you, you know that medical science is forecasting that your children and maybe your grandchildren will live way past 100. 
life expectancy in South Africa at the moment is somewhere, if you have medical aid, somewhere around 75, 80. If you don't have medical aid, somewhere around 55, 60. Big disparity between rich and poor, even in that. So there's a sense in which I have to ask this question, are you ready? Are you, are you ready personally if Jesus came to take you home today? That's the promise. The groom will come to take us home. Th those who did the unspoken course last month may be a little more prepared for that eventuality, but I'm asking the question, are you ready? Christmas last year was, was particularly hard for our kids after our accident because there was this time uh, between the accident and, and by the time the girls got to the hospital and actually saw us where they didn't know whether I was alive. They knew Jean was alive, but they didn't actually know what my condition was. And the reality is that, you know, in South Africa, um, death affects everyone. Um, I've done enough funerals of babies and children to know that it's not just old people who die. I've buried enough teenagers to know that. The, the incidence of car accidents and deaths by a car accident is so high because there are now double the amount of cars than there were in South Africa in the year 2000. There are 13 million cars on the road in South Africa now. In 2000, there were only six. So the chances of getting taken out by a car are pretty high. And I, I, don't, I don't want this to be a kind of downer thing, and I, and I get to that in a moment, but are you ready? If something were to happen to you today, on the way home from church, this week, next week, are you ready? Damien reminded us last week that, that the Nazarites and Samson had one task. His task was, was to, to live for God and proclaim God's presence and, and, and to lead God's people in battle. And in order to do that, he needed to do three things, not touch dead bodies, not touch alcohol, and not cut his hair. That was his purpose. Are you doing the things that God needs you to do in this season, in this time? Are you like uh, those maidens? Are you doing what you're supposed to do to be bearers of light? Elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus talks about the church being the bride of Christ and Christ coming to take her home. Are you the bearer of light for the arrival of the groom. Make sure that you are not lightless and that your light doesn't go out. Partly why we sang, give me oil in my lamp earlier. You see, Jesus says this to us in Matthew, 5, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Also, people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine so that others can see it. Then they will see the good things you do and they will bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, Jesus says, you are light bearers. You are the light of the world. You must have a gym. Isn't Jesus the light of the world? I mean, that's what it says in John's gospel, isn't it? 
that Jesus, the light of the world, the light has come into the darkness, darkness hasn't put it out. But Jesus himself says to you and me, you are light bearers. Like the maidens who bear light for the coming of the groom, you are light bearers. You are to bear, carry light into the darkness to make sure the groom can come and that people can see him. You are the light bearers in this world. We're about to head into election season in South Africa. And if any past election has anything to go by and the political pressure that's already building, this is going to be an interesting time. And I use interesting in a very particular way. And I believe that we who claim to be Christian need to be light bearers now more than ever before. To dispel the darkness as corruption and even an evil and gender-based violence. The darkness of lies, the darkness of sexism, the darkness of populism. And I think that's why the groom says to us, you need to be ready, you need to have your lamps ready to, to bring light into this dark world because the groom's coming soon and until then, bear light and be ready to bear light. Because there's a time coming when Jesus will take us home as we as our lives end here because of age or illness or accident. And the time is coming when Jesus will take his whole bride home. Are you ready? Are you ready to be light until then? And then one day we will be found in that place where Adam Clayton, Dave Evans, Larry Mullen, and Paul Euston, a.k.a. U2, speak of like this. I want to run. I want to hide. I want to tear down the walls that hold me inside. I want to reach out and touch the flame where the streets have no name. Where the streets have no name. Where the streets have no name. And when I go there, I'll be with you. It's all I can do. It's one of the songs that I won't play at my funeral. I'm a U2 fan. We sang a similar song. Sing a song of celebration. Lift up your heart. A song celebrates what we will experience one day in God's presence. Oh, we will sing on streets that are golden. I know we'll go there. But Jesus reminds us that until then, you and I are to be bearers of light. And so are you ready to be bearers of light? Jesus speaks of the oil needed to keep the lamps burning. And I want to just talk briefly about what that oil might be. Are you, are you, are you filling your oil? Are you making sure that that you're reading scripture and you're praying and you're spending time with other Christians and you're worshiping and you're serving God and you're shining your light every day. That's how you fill up. But you see, the Christian life is not about Sundays. I'm glad you're here, really hard. But it's about every day. It's about being ready every day to be bearers of light. It's about 
every day living out our purpose, your purpose, to do the things that God wants you to do with your life for him. So until the groom comes to take you home, and as I said earlier, that may be tomorrow, maybe today, maybe in 20 years. But until the groom comes to take you home, or until the groom comes to take his bride, the church, home, will you be bearers of light? Will you keep doing the things that God wants you to do? And will you shine your light into the world? Because we have a destination. And I hope to see you there one day. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you that you promise again and again that you will come, you will come to take us home. We know that for some that is a deep desire, as the psalmist puts it, they're a bit like a watchman waiting for the dawn. They just cannot wait for you to come. The struggles of this world, illness and sorrow and sadness are just too hard. But there's a promise that you will call us all. And one day when we get to the end of our lives, you will, you will come to take us to be with you in the place where you are. There where the streets of no name, where the streets are paved with gold, where there's no more pain and no more suffering, no more heartache, no more illness. But until then, Lord, help us to live in such a way that we, we honor you in all we do and say, that our lives point to you, not to ourselves, that our, our lives make a difference for the sake of your kingdom. May we do the things that fill up our jars of oil that we may be ready for you all the time.